Second Peter chapter 2. And uh, tonight it's rather a complex chapter. It's not an easy chapter to deal with, not a pleasant subject to deal with, uh, not as uh, easy to divide and to outline as the chapter 1 or chapter 3 of this book. But in our study, we purpose when we go through a book, just take it chapter by chapter. And uh, he opens in chapter 2 to show us that there is a sort of a contrast of what he was just talking about. Uh, we learned in chapter 1 the subject that Peter was bringing before us was the Christian and his Bible. The Christian and the Word of God. And uh, we found out that the key word was the word knowledge the word knowledge and uh, he was saying that there is a gift of knowledge that when we got saved God gave us a new nature and gave us a capacity for truth for knowledge that that's been given to every child of God he has a capacity for truth he has a desire for truth Bible said that we, back in first Peter we learned that as newborn babes were to desire the sincere milk of the word the unadulterated Word of God, there's a longing for it. Now he tells us that comes with a birth. With every birth, every normal child has a desire for food. Uh, that comes with life. And so we found in chapter 1 that he says there's a gift of knowledge. Then he tells us to grow in knowledge. And then he talked about the ground of this knowledge, this truth. And he said we can be sure of it. You remember uh, the incident yonder on the mountain that Peter was involved in, the, Bible says Jesus was transfigured there. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter takes us back to that experience in the last part of chapter 1, and he says we haven't followed uh, uh, cunningly devised fables. There's not some kind of fairy tale or some fable that was devised by man when we, and we brought this to you. He said we were eyewitnesses of his glory. And said we have a, a more sure word, this word of God. It's called a sure word of prophecy. But, he starts chapter 2, Peter's going to tell us even though that that's a wonderful thing that we have, and it's sure, but he says there's going to be some folks that's going to twist and distort and deny this very word of God. So that's the subject tonight. He gives a warning concerning false teachers. We'll need your undivided attention in this second chapter now in our study. There's 22 verses. We've broken it up in a threefold way. Verses 1 through 9, he talks about these teachers, and uh, I put down their condemnation. He looks back in the Old Testament, pulls out three uh, illustrations where that God's judgment came. And Peter is sort of acting now and prophesying in the early church and looking out in the distance from him, and he's saying, just like they were false prophets among the people, there he was talking about the Jewish people. Basically, he is writing to Jewish converts. Look at chapter 1. Even as there shall be false teachers among you. We don't have prophets today like they had in the Old Testament that predicted the future and they spoke for God directly from God and gave out God's word. The prophets did. We don't have, we don't have prophets in the New Testament sense uh, as they had in the Old. There's no prophets today. A prophet today would be one, if you prophesy today, you're not foretelling the future. You're foretelling what God's already said. And so he's saying that just like they 
there were false prophets, there shall be false teachers. And uh, Peter says they're going to come in secretly. Look at verse 1. Who privilege shall bring in damnable heresies. The word there is destructive uh, systems. Uh, this teaching they have is not truth. It's a heresy. They've gone out and they've brought in something that's, that's false. And the word for damnable there is, I repeat, it's, it's destructive. There's nothing more destructive than false teaching. And there's two basic things that a false teacher does. He tells us right here in verse 1. First of all, they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Every false teacher does. Denying the Lord that bought them. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. They deny the Lord Jesus and then they, at least they'll pervert and confuse the gospel even if they do pretend to believe it. And the verse 2 tells us that many shall follow their pernicious ways. Their immoral ways is the word. Uh, every mark of a false teacher, sometimes and we, when we use the word today, and we oftentimes we'll say that fellow's a false prophet. man asked me the other day about Herbert W. Armstrong. I say he's a false prophet. Well, uh, but he's not a prophet in the sense of the Old Testament. He's a false teacher. A whole lot of the others that's, uh, uh, that's household words, they're, they're false. Uh, the Mormon teaching, that's false teaching. Jehovah's Witnesses, so-called, uh, false teaching. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists, false teaching. Uh, the Moonies, false teaching. Uh, on and on we go. Those are cults. Those of you that know me know that you don't hear me setting judgment on God's people that might differ with me or differ with us on some point of doctrine. Now listen carefully. I could be misunderstood here. A man that just preaches maybe what we would consider a point of false teaching is not necessarily a false teacher in this sense. Now listen carefully. For instance, there are some people that teaches that a Christian can lose their salvation. But you're not to put them in the same class as these people right here. You see, a false teacher in this sense is not someone teaching error and ignorance. It's someone that, that deliberately teaches to deceive and maybe most of the time to promote themselves and because they're covetous or because they're immoral, but it's their own little world revolving around them and they're false teachers. Now, there's some people, listen carefully, don't miss me here. There's some people that we wouldn't agree on 100% in every point of doctrine, but you'd be wrong if you said they're false teachers. You'd be wrong if you said they are against God. I wouldn't agree with some of my Pentecostal brethren falling from grace or talking in tongues. But if you'd say all Pentecostal brethren are false teachers, then you're going to be wrong because as many of the Pentecostal people love Jesus Christ and are born again and going to heaven. Now, I'm a Baptist, and I believe Baptist doctrine. They are, they are groups of people that believes that, I mean, I met a fellow some time ago, and if you didn't wear the name of Baptist, I mean, you just wasn't going to make it in. Knocked on one door and one lady, she, I told her where it's from. She said, well, I'm just going to be rather frank right to the point with you. She said, my problem with the Baptists is, she said, uh, they're too narrow. I said, really? She said, yes. Yeah. She said, uh, Baptists believe they're the only ones going to heaven. I said, I'm narrow, more narrow than that. She waited for my answer. I said, I expect some Baptists not going. Amen. 
It's not a tag that we wear that's going to take us to heaven. It's the new birth that we've experienced. And I'm going to come back in just a moment. We're going to look at what is a fundamentalist. And if a person is not a fundamentalist tonight, then that's what I'm talking about. But did you know there was a time in my life that I was just as saved as I am tonight and loved Jesus Christ? Now, let me throw you a curve. I think it's important, the, the doctrine of eternal security. And it's a blessed doctrine. But I was saved before I believed that. I was a preacher before I believed that. I loved Jesus Christ before I believed that. I was having some revival meetings before I believed that. Now, don't miss me. I'm glad I got light on it. Amen. I'm glad we don't have to hold out and try to make it ourselves. But I'm saying that a person might disagree with us tonight on that point of doctrine. But that doesn't mean that they're false teachers in, one, in the sense that Peter's going to say in this crowd, these are those that deny Jesus Christ. You can put the cultists in that crowd. You can put the liberal uh, theologians in that crowd. That's the ones that denies the deity and the blood atonement and denies the inspiration of the Bible. You can put them in that crowd of false teachers. Now, he, he gives a warning about it. And Peter says that uh, many is going to follow him. Well, I saw just this week, and I don't want to give an advertisement for this program because I don't recommend it. And it's sort of a, a talk show, a host type thing with a, with a host there interviewing people. And I saw him interview heads of three denominations that a few years ago loved this Bible, believed this Bible. But they've just recently now changed their stand to accept the, uh, the homosexuals into their churches and to put their approval up on that. They call it lifestyle, uh, uh, altered lifestyle, and God doesn't call it that. That's perversion. That's wickedness into its just about its first extreme. And yet there was the head of a, of a, of a, a denominational college, and, uh, and he said just recently we have voted to say that this now will be accepted and we will ordain homosexual preachers. And I agree. It's a sad hour we're in. Now, you can put that, you can put that professor... You can put those that changes the Word of God, as we're going to find here in a moment, the word that says when they're using these, this with feign words, it's our word we get our word plastic from. They change words to fit anything they want it to fit. And God says, Peter's looking down in the future, and Peter says, in the last days you can take, take warning, these folks are coming on the scene in the church life. And so he said, many, not a few, many is going to follow their their immoral ways is what the word means by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of one in the audience asked one of those men and you know what he labeled that person being a bigot being full of hate when the person just simply asked him says what do you do with the scripture where it says people that live that type of lifestyle shall not inherit eternal life and shall not inherit the kingdom of God and he says, that scripture's archaic. That scripture is outmoded, outdated. He says, we, we live in a new age. May I say to you, God's word is just as up to date. May I say it's more up to date than the newspaper that you read this morning. And that's what Peter said. Peter said, now, I want to warn you, just like there was false prophets back there in the church age, there's going to be false teachers that's going to come along inside of the, of the true teaching and they're going to change and twist the word of God. Verses 1 through 9, he is saying their condemnation is sure. Now look please, verse 3. And through covetousness, that's the motive, 
they, they're greedy. Uh, many today that's got swallowed up in groups like that, of course, has got to, has, has been taken in. But when those, those doctrines were formed and leaving the truth, it was someone's ego, some greed, some covetousness. And that's the way they slip into the colleges and universities and get into churches. And there's whole denominations in our country that were started and built by God-fearing people. And you know what today? They don't believe one thing. They're in our city right here. Those of you that know me know that I'm not just one that throws rocks at people, but our people needs to be informed of false teaching. I talked to a person just since I've been back in this city this day, and she goes to a church in our city, and I, I said, uh, I asked, I said, you're, you're saved? Oh, yes. And the dear lady is saved. I said, how can you stay in a church and the preacher doesn't believe that Jesus Christ was virgin born? He says, publicly does. They asked me to join the ministerial association. I wasn't smart, Ellie. I didn't act... Uh, you know, I mean, I, I at least tried to uh, stay on speaking terms and, and, and remain friendly, but I, I asked the one that invited me. I said, does everyone that is involved in the Ministerial Association of Greenfield, Hancock County, does everyone believe that Jesus Christ was virgin born? He said, that's not important to all of us. It is to me. I said, does all of them that belong to the ministerial association and their fellowship, would, would, I said, would, would each one of those brethren sign an agreement that they believe the Bible is verbally inspired, word for word of God? He said, don't be ridiculous. He didn't believe it. And he was rather open. He didn't believe in the virgin birth. He's not a saved man. Taking a salary from God's people under false pretense. Doesn't believe there's a hell pastor of a large church in our city twists the words if he wants to and doesn't even preach from the Bible half the time doesn't I mean he, he said if you want to believe it's inspired if you want to believe it's authoritative he said I won't argue with you we'll still get along <laughs> well I'm not ugly and I'm not unkind but I, ha I can't fellowship with a man that calls himself a preacher that denies the fundamentals of the faith he's not a man of God now, I know what we're labeled. I, I'm going to preach a sermon here right away on Sunday, and I believe God wants me to. And the title of the message, maybe even this, it'll be in the near future, entitled, What is a Fundamentalist? You see that everywhere just about you pick? And, and, and may I say to you, the news media, they're having a heyday with that word. So-called preacher commits uh, uh, wickedness and uh, charged with molesting children. And the big headlines, fundamentalist. They even took a weirdo like Jim Jones and said, fundamentalist. Well, you, you can rest assured that behind those statements, there's one who hates the truth. Let's bring that to the forefront. I'm not ashamed of being a fundamentalist. And being a fundamentalist simply means that there's some, there's, there's some points of doctrine that you hold dear and that you believe. And if you do not believe them, you couldn't claim to be a Bible fundamentalist. And if you're not a fundamentalist, you cannot be saved. And that don't mean a certain denomination. It don't mean a certain sect. It means believing certain things this Bible teaches. And if you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, you're not born again. One thing every, every false cult has in common, called the cultists, each of them denies the deity of Jesus Christ. I said that in a meeting the other night in the fellow after service. He, his, his folks is mixed up in the cult. He said, my people believe Jesus is God. I said, what cult they belong to, Jehovah's Witness? I said, then you don't, 
Either your people don't know what their group teaches, or you in error tonight. I said, I'm no smart aleck, but I, uh, I said, I, I've, I've given myself to study what they believe. And he quoted the verse. And I said, yes, they will quote that Jesus is a God. Put him on the same par with angels. I said, my friend, Jesus Christ is God of God. He was God, is God, and shall forever be God. He's Lord tonight. And the devil hates that doctrine of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Well-known preacher, great preacher, powerful preacher. Said he was in the airport just recently, happened just a few weeks ago, and said he had nearly an hour layover. And uh, he said there was uh, a cultist just moving in the Bible. Oh, he said she was neatly dressed, and she was a beautiful young lady, and she was charming, and she had some literature, and she belonged to the Mooney crowd. And especially, she said, to the fellows. She's making appeal to the fellows. And said she was getting money. He said she was standing a few feet of me, and I noticed that she got money uh, almost above 50% of those shipwrecks. They gave money to that wicked cause. And he said, I sat there reading the Word of God, and she could see that I had the Bible. She never really got that close to me. But he said, I was praying, oh God, give me wisdom. Help me to say what I ought to say to this young woman that's deceived and blinded by Satan himself. And he said, when I walked up to her, he said, I would guess she was a young lady in her early 20s. I spoke to her and I said, lady, I'd like to just say something to you. Jesus Christ is Lord. And said she screamed at the top of her voice. He said, people within a radius of us turned quickly when she screamed, thinking that I was, I, I, I was perhaps uh, injuring that woman, and said she let out another shrill and scream. And I said again, Jesus Christ is Lord. In frustration, she just completely ran from that end. May I say to you, demons of hell cannot take the truth. Jesus is Lord. And they twist and Oh, they come, with, and the scripture says in verse 3, with feign words. That's the word you can check out, the Greek word that this came from. And, it, and you'll find that it's our word, plastic. The very root word, we get our word, plastic. And so, of course, he's saying they, they twist the truth to fit what they want it to fit. We, we talk of some compromise today, someone fits in everywhere. We say he's plastic. He's not real. He just, you know, he just fits the picture. And so Peter's one of say not to, I started to say to them, but Peter's saying to all the church age, and basically these last days, Paul warned about how much false teaching, but it wouldn't be true faith in Christ will come on the scene in the last days. False cultists and new, new culture are springing up uh, every day, seemingly, some kind of false teaching. Someone asked me this last week. I have a source that I, that's available to me that I can check, and they'll find out the fall, the new cults that's come. And, and, and a lady, one of our, our members, she works the evenings. She said, there's a lady I work with. I witnessed to her, and she told me, I'm religious, and told me the group, and it's just been formed. And uh, she asked me if I heard, and I, I said, I've got an ac access to the uh, latest uh, uh, input on, on the false cults. And I said, I'll find out just what they believe. I mean, they're... They're just coming on to say. The Bible said in the close of the church age, the Bible talks about doctrines of devils. Well, it's doctrines of demons. There's only one devil, and the word doctrine there is teaching. 
And where does this teaching come from? It's inspired by the demons of hell. And they get a hold of people's minds, unconverted people, sometimes religious people, but unconverted, and put things in their own mind, and they fabricate words like plastic, and, and yet they pretend to be Christian and move right into among church people. And the biggest tool the devil's got is religion without Christ. A man said to me some time ago, said, boy, the devil hates religion, doesn't he? <laughs> I said, no, sir, you don't hate religion. The devil's in religion up to his ears. Always has been. He can get you religious without Jesus Christ. I mean, the devil, I don't think necessarily wants a person to be walling in the gutter tonight. That's not a good advertisement for the devil. Not many people want to be a, a falling down drunk tonight out in the gutter. I think the devil's ashamed of people like that. But the devil wants to get a person that's educated, intelligent, refined, moral, even, and get him to believe in a false doctrine. And he's got him blinded and deceived. Well, these first nine verses, Peter says, even though they're going to come, and it's through covetousness with, with, with uh, fabricated words, they're going to make merchandise, or they don't care for people, they're using people. He said in verse 3, there's a little awkward statement, it says, whose judgment now of a long time, and it seems like it hasn't been a long, I mean, false teaching has gotten away, it seems like, for so long, but it lingereth not. Their damnation slumbereth not, and that's why I call these first nine verses their condemnation peter says even though it's sure that these teachers are going to come teaching error he says also their condemnation is sure and he uses three old testament pictures to show that god finally judged wickedness and wrong he used first of all the angels look at verse four if god spared not the angels that sin Cast them down to hell. That's an unusual word, as you Bible students know. It's the only time that word is used in the Bible for hell. And uh, it's the word tartus. And it means the lowest pit. And uh, this group of angels that sin, God has chained them. And, uh, and not just put them in hell as we normally think of hell, but he's put them in the lowest pit of hell. And said he delivered them to the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now, I'm not going to go into detail any of these places, but the question has been asked, who were these angels? Now, it's obvious it wasn't the angels that led with Satan in rebellion, because Satan's not chained, and those angels are demons. They're not chained. So it's obvious he's talking about another group of angels. And I think it's clear who he's talking about when he, in verse 5, he connects the two verses, and he begins to talk about the world of Noah that had to be judged with a flood. Remember back in chapter 6, the book of Genesis, those ones were called the sons of God, began to marry the daughters of men, and out of that union became monstrosities. The sons of God in the Old Testament, in the book of Job, angels were called sons of God. And there was a group of angels trying to pervert that, that, uh, that lineage, that, the human lineage that he's going to bring them aside in. And they intermarried, and Jude tells us they left their first estate. Angels left their position and began to try to cohabit with, with mankind. It said, sons of God. I know that there's a common teaching that says that was the sons of Seth, and the daughters of men were uh, sons of, of Cain, or daughters of Cain. Well, I have a question. Listen carefully. Would you say everyone that came from Seth's line would have been a male? And everybody that came from the, the lineage of Cain uh, would have been a female? And they, they intermarried? Well, he says that those 
angels, if that was the angels or whoever the angels were that sinned, God said he judged them. That's the first judgment he looks back to in the Old Testament. And then he looks at verse 5 and says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of ungodliness. That's the second crowd that he uses an illustration to say that God's judgment fell. And then the third crowd is verse number six, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Or you, you're quickly aware of the ungodly lifestyle he's referring to, uh, almost so unspeakably wicked, uh, and yet... Uh, I'll just be honest. I never thought that I would live in America to see uh, that uh, type of teaching being embraced even in so-called Christian churches. I'm just being honest with you. I saw on a, a news, a uh, late news uh, talk type thing a few weeks ago and they showed the, in the streets of, of, of San Francisco some things that was going on. And... Uh, Unless some of you think I'm inhuman, mean, and a machine, my heart goes out to anyone that's suffering, like those that suffer with that disease that follows that crowd and that lives that lifestyle. I mean, I, my, my heart aches for people. And yet, it's mysterious, and it's one. And, and, and they say, some are wondering, well, I'm no smart aleck, but I, I believe with my soul. It's Almighty God saying, you're not going to keep on defying God in his way and get away with it. That's what Peter said. Peter said, have you forgotten that a people in the olden day made up their mind we don't need God and they were so unspeakably immoral even in Noah's day that only eight people got saved. Out of and Peter said, don't forget there was a day when people turned against God like these teachers are doing and God didn't let them get away. Don't forget, there was a people in Lot's day that, that became so unspeakably immoral. And yet today, and you see, the devil is so subtle that he can never get people to laugh at something that's corrupt and wicked. If you ever laugh at it, you don't take it very seriously anymore. And it's been now, you know, put into an age that jokes are made about that lifestyle. And as I said here, I believe here in this pulpit some time ago, someone... Uh, said to me another place, accused me of having no compassion for homosexuals. And yet that person didn't know me. And I said then after the person spoke to me, I said, I have in my file correspondence from homosexuals. It's been in services where I've preached and said, we pretend outwardly that we're happy. One young woman said, I'm empty and lonely and miserable. I'm afraid I'll be, I even maybe be killed if I don't go along with a part in the crowd I'm with. But I need help. And I got in touch with a preacher in that area that not only got her, got her away from that wicked, wicked outfit and got her born again, loves Jesus Christ. But I'm saying Peter says there's a judgment on sin. And Peter says that, that, uh, that God is a God that doesn't and cannot let if angels didn't get by and if an old world didn't get by and if Sodom and Gomorrah didn't get by, he says this crowd that's denying Jesus Christ, even the Lord that bought them, denying the one that paid their redemptive price, 
said they're not going to get by either. But there's something else sweet here that I like in verses uh, 7 and 8. Look what he says there. He, he says that, well, in verse 5, he said that he spared not that old world, but he saved Noah. And, of course, the eighth person, being there were seven other of his family with him, and Noah was a preacher of righteousness and an age of, of wickedness when people didn't uh, stand for that which was right. Noah still preached the word of God. And then he says down in verse number 7, and he delivered just Lot. Another word there, I had a person to say one time that that word didn't mean that Lot was justified. said really what he was saying, he saved only Lot. That word means he just saved Lot. Well... Uh, that's, not, that's not what he's saying to us. You see, Lot wasn't the only person brought out of Sodom. There were some people came out with him. His daughters came out with him. So he's not just talking about just Lot in the sense of only Lot. The word is that Lot was a justified man. And to make it more clear, look at verse 8. It says that righteous man. I suspect we'd have been a neighbor of Lot. We wouldn't have thought he was righteous. You'd have known Lot on the job. You wouldn't have thought he was righteous. Lot didn't have a testimony for the Lord, but he was a saved man. Lot was a man who made gold his God, and Lot went to Sodom because he had some cattle, and it was a, it, the plains were well watered for cattle. He didn't ask about the schools and the churches and the will of God for his life. He went down there to make him some money and became popular and says he sat in the gate. That's a term, at least if he wasn't the mayor of Sodom, he belonged to, the, he, he belonged to those that would call the, the city fathers. He was no doubt a judge or something in Sodom. One day God sent some angels down there and said, go tell Lot, I'm going to bring judgment. And God says, I can't bring judgment until I get him out. And here's the point. Peter's looking forward to a judgment day. And he says, not only is, is, is the judgment of God going to come on a, on, on, a, on a people that denies Christ, and, he, and I repeat, he looks back at the old, says, I want to show you God is a God of judgment. But he says he also knows how points out that God's able to preserve and deliver his true saints. Now, he didn't deliver uh, Noah out or from the judgment. He delivered him through it. But he took Lot out of it before it ever came. You see, that's a picture. When the judgment comes, there's going to be some that he's going to preserve, and they'll go through the judgment of tribulation right here on this earth, and they'll never die. There'll be 144,000 Jewish converts. And God says he put his seal. That simply means his protection. He, a seal stands for, we're, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Seal stands for authority. And, and so God says, I'll put my authority, my protection on 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe of Israel. And they'll scatter to the ends of this known world. And they'll proclaim the gospel of the kingdom after the rapture takes place. And they'll be multiplied uh, numbers. And, and the scripture says a, a number that's, that's innumerable is going to believe what they preach. And God's going to deliver them through the tribulation. And they go into that thousand-year reign with natural, literal bodies. And they'll be in a thousand years multiplied, multiplied thousands of, of children born on this earth. Into that thousand years, Satan will be loose for a little season. And sad to say, there'll be a great rebellion again. You see, while Satan is chained, they won't be the tempter to get people to follow him. But since they've been born in that age, he'll have to be loosed after the thousand years. 
man said to me the other day, he said, isn't it alarming, the, the, uh, the, the mixed-up uh, film that ABC showed not long ago about the day after that scared a lot of people about out of their, out of their wits and man, just this earth is going to disintegrate and melt just any day now. Huh. Well, you can just put that back in the back of the page somewhere. Earth's not going to melt any day now. I know it's going to be a thousand and seven years. If the rapture takes place tonight, it'll be a thousand and seven more years before this earth melts because there's going to be a thousand-year reign on this earth. I do believe we're coming right in the close of the age. We get to the third chapter, we'll see this. God is work, so that you see a day and a thousand years is numbers he puts together. And 2,000 years, uh, the flood came. 2,000 years, uh, then, uh, then uh, there was a, uh, Jesus Christ was born. Two more thousand years, we're right there. That's been six days on God's calendar. Did you know in picturing this back in the Old Testament, he let the earth, they'd work it six days, then he would let it rest one day? This old earth has been working and laboring under a curse for six days. 6,000 years since Adam. Did you know the earth's about to rest the seventh day? 1,000 years? He lift the curse? I believe we're right at the door of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We'll learn all that and see that in the next chapter. But Peter's saying... In this church age, there's these false teachers and their condemnation is as sure as, they, as he predicted they would come, they have come, whole denominations. They, I mean, I'm not just picking any particular denomination. I'm a Baptist, but I talked to a Baptist preacher some time ago that said he didn't feel that the blood of Jesus Christ was any more important to forgive his sins than his mother's blood. Goes to a... Uh, was taught at a Baptist seminary. I read in a book just recently from a leading Baptist seminary in this country, one of the professors standing before the, the, uh, the Old Testament class and made fun of much of the Bible, laughed at the first three chapters and <laughs> called it myth. Adam and Eve, he said, they're fictitious. You students in school, you, you know what to... You know what, and thank God not every teacher, but you know what some of them, as one said to me not long ago, as one of the teachers tried to take the, uh, the so-called theory and even of evolution, now trying to push it as fact, and trying to say that no educated people and no one with any intelligence, any sense at all, believes the, the Bible. You know that they're on the scene. Not only they're in schools and they're in churches and pulpits, they're, in the, uh, they're behind the professor's desk. Behind all of that is the one that formulated every lie that was ever told. He's the father of it. He's the devil. Well, thank God. Even though that's coming on the scene, God still knows how to deliver his true saints. Amen. Just like Lot was lifted up and tucked away before the fire fell, before the judgment came, the true church shall be taken out before tribulation judgment comes on this earth. And Noah pictures those, those Jews in the tribulation that will be delivered right through it and go into that reign of Christ on earth. That's the first nine verses. Now the next verses really, uh, I'm not even going to go into any detail. They don't need to. They just really explain themselves. 10 through 16 talks about their character. And as you read it, you just notice we've already alluded to and even mentioned what these verses say. So there's no point in me even going in detail. It just talks about uh, verses 10 and 11, about their being self-willed, full of pride. Verses 12, 13, 14 talks about their 
wicked lifestyle, being immoral, and uh, all the way down through verse 14. And verse 14, having eyes full of adultery, they cannot cease from sin. And uh, you that know something about false teaching, you know, if you begin to know, read how shocking, appalling, and, and sad it is to see all the wicked immorality that's done in the name of religion. I mean, I'm not just talking about cults now. I'm talking about some large religious bodies in this country that denies the truth. And yet on the pretense of being preachers and priests and so forth, live extremely immoral, and yet say because they're quote-unquote men of the cloth, they, you know, they unstable souls are beguiled and deceived. He tells about that. I won't even mention the book. I shouldn't even mention this. I, uh, but yet it is an informative thing. It's a, it's a saddening thing. And uh, the, there was uh, one author of, gave the, of uh, Jim Jones and Guyana there. Uh, my, the wickedness of that uh, false preacher. I talked to a person that was in his congregation. I mean, while he was here in Annapolis. And I asked him, he said, uh, as effective speaker as you as you ever heard in your life. And if you, if you ever even, even heard just some excerpts of his, you noticed that he, was a, uh, he had much charisma about him and, and how he could attract and, and how, how interesting he was. But a person who attended the temple downtown in Annapolis, incidentally, fundamental Christians put so much pressure on him back under a few years ago while he was in Annapolis. He finally had to pack up and he headed to California. And... Uh, this one who attended our church at Hope Baptist Church that was a part of that group for a while. He said he thought he was on the level for a while until he came out on him about his immorality and his, his crookedness, his dishonesty. Well, that's two of the things that goes with false prophets. Not only of their, and, and I don't think it'd probably be safe to say every characteristic of every false prophet or false teacher that everyone has to, uh, to a marked degree, but you'll find that that's two of the marks that goes with many of them, is that they're, they're sexually immoral and, and, and they're, they're so covetous that they're dishonest and greedy. And when this person said what they charged that man with in Indianapolis, that was the very reason why overnight he packed up Montana, California, and then uh, so many. I, I, I saw that picture again on news the other day when they was talking about the anniversary of that tragedy. And uh, I looked at that scene. Hundreds, what was it? Over 900, wasn't it? Uh, I said to my wife, I can't hardly believe this. I mean, that gullible. And yet when you read the book to find that uh, a man said to me, you think every one of them just, no, under force after they got there. And... Uh, and was, was, would have been shot on the spot if they hadn't followed that, that, that maniac and that religious uh, devil, if you please. And yet I witnessed a man not long ago. You know what he said to me? He said, how do I know that all you preachers are not Jim Joneses? Well, he says, their character, they're identified with their pride, their uh, their lustful lifestyle, their covetous lifestyle. Then he talks about their claims. Look down in verses 2 or 17 through 22. We'll just read these verses. Now in verse 15, he said they've forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozrah, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And you know that prophet of the Old Testament that 
was willing to compromise when the offering went up high. He first, he knew the word of God, knew what he shouldn't have done. You remember how that, uh, here it says, the dumb ass speaking with a man's voice. Forbade the madness of the prophet uh, indicates that he was, uh, the word there is our word, the craziness of the prophet. He was not sane while he was doing that. Not using good sense. And uh, a dumb animal spoke to him and corrected him. So he uses that Old Testament picture to say that this, these false teachers, part of their character is they're covetous, they're greedy. They're feathering their own nest. Religious racketeers, I guess, are more on the scene in this age than they've ever been in the church age. I think the hottest place for hell, and I speak advisedly, is reserved for people that intentionally make merchandise of the people of God. False teacher not long ago died, and some of you, and I've got statistics on this, was a pretty well-known name across the country. Set up a big tent and thousands go here. It was, a shock, it was shocking when it was brought out on him after his death. Some of the things that man was involved in. Statistics also show that he died of cirrhosis of the liver. He was an alcoholic and had been for years. Told how much liquor he consumed daily. And yet, would stand before huge audiences and came to Indianapolis one time some years ago and attracted, the, the, the article says, the crowd that he attracted in the big tent on the far southwest side of Indianapolis. Claimed to be able to work all kind of miracles. I didn't go to that man's meeting. I wasn't saved in those days, but I went to one of them There's probably about as popular as he, one of his meetings, when I pastored on, uh, on the west side of town. I mean, I went in the meeting. <laughs> I think I got a little more sense than that now, but that's back yonder 18 years ago. I went up there and got on the second street. You say, because, no, I'm not going. I, I mean, I was going to expose him. I took one of the men in the church with me. He said, walking down the aisle, he said, I'm scared to death, Pastor. <laughs> I said, he won't shoot us. He said, yeah, but I don't want us to He said, let's start on the back row. I said, no, let's go up here. And if I mention him here, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, I guess my wife says that when I'm not accepting something, I show it. <laughs> I tried to work on that. I'm sure my countenance must have been bothered him. He, you know, he said to the time, let's pray. He said, we've got a Jonah on this tent tonight. <laughs> my friend said, I said, I don't care. I'm not afraid of it. You see, a few of our young Christians, I pastored on the west side. And few of our young Christians that lived in that area, they were being taken in by that wicked, false, immoral teacher claiming to, uh, to have all that the apostles had. Finally, he said, we just can't have a meeting tonight. So let's just pray. And I finally got to, you know, I said to him, let's get out of here. We got up and just went on the tent. He had big speakers everywhere. He said, thank God we'll have a meeting now. Jonah's gone. I said to the friend that was with me, I said, the only safe fellow on that boat was Jonah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but I, asked, I, I stood outside. I, I just went we and I interviewed. I mean, just ask a question to the fellow. I mean, please don't miss me here. Anybody knows me that I'm not a put down to people that enjoy going to church. I'm for that. God delivers some dry, dead services. But 
there was a fellow running and jumping. Jumped completely over the pulpit once. I was also, I said, hey, come, come here a minute. I said, you come and tell him? He said, no, I live here in town. God's my witness. You know what that man told me? He said, I'm getting paid by him to do all of this. Group of people, I said to the brother, the brother with me, I said, look, nobody has a Bible. You see, if we're not careful, anybody comes to town saying they're a prophet or a preacher of God, carrying a Bible, there's going to be some people so gullible. I'm simply saying their claims, they... All the wild claims they make. Look what Peter says they'll be claiming. He's talking about here they're going to be claiming liberty when they themselves are slaves. He said they're wells without water. Well, what good's a well that's dry? A well that has no water in it can't help anyone. And Peter's talking about these false prophets, false teachers in this age, and he says they're clouds that's carried with the tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. A cloud that never gives any water just pushes around with the, uh, with the wind, but it never stops to give out anything. And a well that's dry, promising people satisfaction, promising people something, but they're never satisfied. I said to a woman, member of a Jehovah's Witness false group, and she's a member tonight of a Bible-preaching church in Indianapolis, and I was her pastor two years before going on the road. I asked her, would she answer just a straightforward question? She said, yes, I will. An intelligent woman that had a, has a high position downtown with a large company. And she said to me, yes, I'll be, I'll be absolute honest. I said, has your religion fulfilled your life? I said, are you a satisfied, fulfilled person? She pondered a moment or so and said, I'm bored stiff. Why, if you deny the truth, you can't be satisfied. Sad to say, some saved people, even though they know, they know they're going to heaven, not walking with God, and still they're not fulfilled and happy and free and joyful. But he's saying, this crowd is like a well that's promising to give you a refreshing drink, and you drop your bucket and nothing there. Like a cloud that's going to water a desert area, and then a puff of wind blows it away because there's no water in that cloud. And he says, these teachers, their claims, their condemnation is sure. Their character, they're immoral. Their claims, they claim to set you free while they promise them liberty. Verse 19, they themselves are servants of corruption, of whom a man's overcome of the same as he brought in bondage. And different things brings them in different bondage. Some it was greed, others it was sexual immorality, and on and on. 